You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. Johanna, by the way, in case, in case you don't know, um, Esther is just, it's delightful. And we're going to leave the spoilers up there too because she did this really cool thing by saving her people. And her entire book is kind of just like leading up to that moment. And it's not just Esther, there are other people involved too. Um, but she was just there at the right time. I know Joe a lot. Uh, sometimes the words he gets for people, or for me specifically, was like, you were made for such a time as this, which is from Esther. And sometimes, depending on where you're in, whatever you're in, that might feel really great. And then otherwise, other times, that might feel unhelpful and really heavy. Uh, but either way, Esther is just an example, much like Jesus, who was made for a time that she was in. Um, and she rose to the occasion. So we are going to talk about Esther today. I'm going to pray, and then we will start. Everybody got? Oh, okay. Uh, so God, thank you today uh, for just always being here, um, always being present. And I just ask that you would let each person hear exactly what they need to hear from this message today, uh, that they could connect with whichever part of Esther's story you want to talk to them about. Um, but I just thank you so much for who you are and how you're totally operating all the time behind the scenes. Uh, Jesus' name. Okay, so who was Esther? Um, she was a young Jewish girl who lived in, I think it was 460, 479 BC. She lived in Persia and she was raised by her cousin Mordecai who her parents had died, and so she was adopted by Mordecai, which if you need the family tree, Mordecai was her father's brother, so he was really her father's brother's son, so he was her cousin, but he raised her as his own. Is that not helpful? I thought that was helpful. Um, so she, she was raised by him, and during this time, it was not maybe very good to let people know that you were Jewish, and so... Um, they were living as Jews in Persia, but they might not have been telling everybody that they were doing such. Um, but Esther, of course, is not the focus point of the beginning of her book. Um, before Esther, we are invited to join the king. So King, is, king Xerxes is in charge right now, and he decided to throw this huge banquet. It was like 180 days long, which is what, like six months? It makes me exhausted just thinking about how long this party was. Um, I, don't, I don't even understand how people could celebrate for that long. But it was a time for him to kind of show off his wealth, show off what was going on. So they had this 180-day party, and then he held seven days of banquets, which, again, that's a lot. It's a lot of people time. That's a lot of celebrating. I'm sure there was a lot of alcohol. I think he even decreed that, like, people could have as much alcohol as they wanted. So... It was just a lot, a lot of partying. And during the last day of the seven days of the banquets, he decided, you know what, like, I'm feeling great. I am going to ask my queen, Queen Vashti, to come so that people can just gaze on her and see how beautiful she is. And Vashti said no. It was not her cup of tea. She did not want to come and have people stare at her, and so she, she defied the order of the king, which you know is like, no-no in that time, not happy about it. 
And so instead of taking the time to process how he was feeling, maybe process how that made her feel, he just called forth his people and he was like, how do we, how do we make sure that she knows that that was wrong? Because all they were thinking was like, man, if the queen defies the king, that means all the men in their houses or all the women in their houses can defy their husbands. And we can't have that. Like there needs to be order, there needs to be rules, women need to understand their place. What do we do? And so they were like, well, you have to banish her. So she, from that point forward, was banished from the king's sight, from his palace. She was like sent away. Uh, so that was kind of the first step. Banishes Queen Vashti from his presence. And then there's a slide for that. And then he starts to think about like what he had done. And so the people around him, again, to make sure that he doesn't backtrack. Uh, because once the king decrees something or puts something in writing, because of the laws of Persia at the time, he couldn't take it back. So that was kind of like there forever. They decided, you know what, we'll just find you like a new wife. You already have like a harem of concubines. That's okay, but maybe you need more. So <laughs> they go on um, to ask a lot of young, young women, uh, young women from all over the area to come to the palace. They go through like treatments and things, and he essentially gets to pick who he likes. Uh, and this is like, probably one of the parts of the Old Testament that I always read, and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad we live now. So glad we live now. It might not be so much better, but it's, it's, it's a little better. Um, so in Old Testament fashion, that's what he does, and that is when Esther enters the story because she is one of those young girls who is brought into the palace. Um, and Esther wins favor from those at the palace by listening to the advice that she is given. Um, and she ends up becoming queen. The king likes Esther and he just, there she is. She has, she's gone through this, but she does not tell him that she's Jewish um, at that point. So she is just kind of like following the laws and going through everything, and Esther becomes queen. We're going through like a fast-forward version. There's a lot in Esther, and I would encourage everyone to read through Esther when you have time. It's 10 chapters, but we're going to go quickly through. So after Esther becomes queen, Mordecai foils an assassination plot on the king. Like Esther has everything. It has kind of like a love story. It has some action. There's some humor. There's a lot in Esther. But he foils an assassination plot, and tells Esther, Esther reports it to the king. The king is saved. Esther then kind of like has proven her loyalty, I think, a little bit. And she's still good. But after that, there's a man named Haman, um, who I'm going to call him the villain of the story. Every story has a villain. And I'm sure that Haman was going through some things and had some, own things, some of his own things to prove. But we're going to call him the villain for now. Um, Haven at the time was then appointed to like the highest point of the king's guard. He was kind of in charge of a lot of things. And he was used to in that position, people kind of bowing to him. Like that was the normal thing that people would walk by him and, and bow and, and Haman needed that. He really liked that. And Mordecai didn't do it because it was against Jewish custom to do it. And that made Haman so upset. He became offended 
And again, instead of checking his feelings, instead of thinking like, maybe why does Mordecai do this? Haman reacts poorly and decides not only does he want to punish Mordecai, but he wants to punish all the Jewish people because they all wouldn't bow. Mordecai might have been the focal point, but he decides he is going to punish all the Jewish people. So he decides he has to ask the king. So Haman approached King Xerxes and said, there's a certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not the king's interest to let them live. If it pleases the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited into the royal treasury. So not only was Haman upset and offended, he also was willing to pay to make sure that something could get done. He was that vicious about it, um, that pointed about it. I don't know if any of you, sometimes I have gotten very upset, not like murderously so, but very upset, and all I can see is that red thing, oh, sorry, that red thing that I'm really angry about, and that is my focal point, and I think that that is what happened to Haman. He just became so engulfed with that hatred and focus, and he was willing to pay money. That just blows me away. Um, and so the king gives his signet ring and allows Haman to put it into law. And in March of another year, it is decreed that on that day, Jews, no matter their age or status, should be killed. And that their, um, their wealth, their houses, all the things that belong to them can be taken by the people who have killed them. That's the decree. And Mordecai obviously learns about this. And he begins mourning. Um, and he dresses himself in sackcloth and ash. And he goes to sort of like the outer courts and just outwardly is expressing the pain that he's feeling about knowing that in the future it has now been decreed that his people will be killed. I can't even imagine what that would feel like to, to wait for that day, to know that that had happened. Um, but he, he is seen, and it gets back to Esther, and Esther, who's kind of removed because she's in the palace, she, you know, doesn't really, isn't involved in the day-to-day -day outside, learns about what's going on and sends clothes for Mordecai, and he refuses to put them on because he's not ready to let go of what is happening. It's not that he wants to ignore the situation, he wants it to be fixed. And clothing is not going to fix the situation, it's just going to hide what he already knows is coming. Um, and they kind of go back and forth a little bit. He says he doesn't want the clothes, and Esther's kind of like, well, what, what do you need? Like, I could help. And he suggests that Esther go and ask the king to do something about this because she's, she's right there. She's kind of in close proximity. She should be able to ask. And Esther, it feels very calm in the book. And Maybe she wasn't calm, I don't know, but I low-key appreciate that she sounds a little calm. Uh, responds back with like, hey, uh, you know that I could die if I just go and like present myself in front of the king if he doesn't ask for me. That I, I could die for that. Are you sure? You know, just so you know, in case you don't know, that's not going to happen. Uh, and Mordecai replied, don't think, think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape from all the other Jews who are killed. <laughs> 
If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arrive from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you are made queen for a time such as this. And so his response is also very calm. I feel like they're just both escalating these truths to one another about the situation. And so Esther takes up the weight of that, and she says, okay, please pass this along to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or night. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go to see the king. If I must die, I must die. And so that is what's done. Mordecai goes and gathers everyone, and they fast. And I think, you know, God is not really mentioned in this book. That's kind of also one of the fun things. He's, he's not mentioned at all. But there are little things in this book that show that he is thought of, and he is, is working behind the scenes. And the fasting, I think, is definitely one of them. It's not something that they're trying to go forward in their own strength, like we all do sometimes. They're taking a moment to invite him even further into this situation by trying to go forward with his favor for this situation. So at the third day, Esther, she approaches the king, um, and she does live to tell the tale. He extends his scepter when he sees her standing in the hallway, and she goes in, and they're just all about these banquets. So he asks her, like, what, can, what does she want? He'll give her, like, half the kingdom. And she's like, I want you and Haman to come to a banquet. Please, I will prepare this banquet. I would like you to come. We'll eat together. And so the king, of course, like, go tell Haman. He better be there. This is the time. Um, Haman, meanwhile, while Esther's, like, preparing this banquet, Haman is still real focused on... He's already declared death for the Jews, but now he's real focused on Mordecai because he's just like, Mordecai is visible to him. Haman's still filled with hate and rage. So Haman is just building this, what, what it sounds like from the scripture, this giant contraption to kill Mordecai, like visible for everybody to see because he wants it to be this, this, like, this giant spectacle. He really wants Mordecai dead. So that night before the banquet, King Xerxes can't sleep, uh, so he does some light reading, a.k.a. he has one of his people read to him the history of his reign. Uh, just like casually going through, reading through things, and they read to him, they remind him about the time that Mordecai foiled the assassination plot. And Xerxes realizes, you know, questions like, did we ever do anything for him? Did we, did we reward him? Did we give him anything? And they were like, no, not really. I mean, thank you, you know, but like not, nothing at all. And so he, he takes that in his heart and he thinks about that. And Haman, meanwhile, it's morning now. Haman's like at the gates. He's Hamoning real hard because he <laughs> is waiting to just ask the king, like, I've built this thing. I just want permission to like end it for Mordecai. I need it to happen now. So he's kind of waiting outside in the gate. And the king is like, oh, who's out there? I want to talk to them about what we can do for, you know, like thinking what, he, what we can do for Mordecai, not knowing that Haman is, is Hamaning. And so Haman comes in, and the king is like, what would, what would we do for someone who does something really great for the king? Like, what, would, what, what should I do for someone who, who does that? 
And Haman, of course, is like, talking about me. It's obviously about me. What would I like? Well, I would like, and he likes something absurd, like being given the king's robe, I think, and like riding on the king's horse so everyone can see that he's wearing the robe and on the horse. Um, And so King Xerxes was like, that's great. I want you to do that for Mordecai because he saved my life. And Haman has to do that because he has to listen to what the king is saying. And so Haman, he does it. Not happy about it, but he does it. And he takes Mordecai, gives him that, puts him on the horse. There he goes. Then he's suffering the shame of that, still plotting how maybe he can Mordecai because he is a man of vision and he is not going to give up. Um, his wife gets involved. The wife tries to help. They're clearly like some sort of solid power couple. I don't know. Then it's time for the banquet. They go to the banquet, and the king again is like, Esther, what do you want? Like, we're here. We're eating. What can I do for you? And Esther finally asks to save the lives of her people. Uh, She says, if I have found favor with the king... And if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet. For that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. And the king is so upset that he just gets up and like goes into the garden. Seems like someone who maybe is learning to process. He's like going out. He's processing in another room. Um, He leaves Haman and Esther alone. And Haman, because he asks who has done this, sorry, before he goes into the garden, he asks who has done this. And Esther's like, the wicked Haman. And Haman kind of didn't put it together that she was Jewish. He didn't know she was related to Mordecai. And now he's backpedaling and he's not doing it well. So the king is out processing and Haman is like, Esther, I, I'm, I'm so sorry, like I messed up, what can I do? I didn't, I didn't know, the king will kill me. And he sits a little too close to her on the couch. And then the king comes in at that moment and is like, the audacity, you've, you've threatened her and now you're, what is, what is happening right now? You're dead. And so he, I'm sorry, it's not funny, but it's a little funny. So then Haman dies the way that he had planned for Mordecai to die. So throughout the whole book, Haman kind of like planned his own death without even knowing it, which is, I think it's a little interesting. So Haman is out of the picture, but there's still this decree, right, that said that the Jews would be killed on this specific day. And Esther again goes to the the king, and she again is like, okay, thank you, Haman's dead, that's great, but what about all the other, like, what about my people? And the king, who now knows about Mordecai, he now knows how they're related, um, he, he gave his signet ring to Esther and he said, you know, like write a new law. You can't get rid of the old one, but you could put a new decree in that would somehow change the situation. And so the king's decree gave the Jews in every city the authority to new, unite to defend their lives. They were allowed to kill, slaughter, and annihilate anyone of any nationality or province who might attack them or their children or wives and take the property of their enemies. It's a lot. It's quite heavy. (laughs) So, yeah, exactly, April. Yeah, it's not a lot. Uh, But essentially, it just allowed them to defend themselves. On that day, they were allowed to fight back. 
and they wouldn't just have to accept what was coming. And so they, of course, there has to be time for this to be delivered. So, and they didn't have like cell phones, they weren't like emailing each other, it had to be with people on horses. They used the king's horses because apparently they're like bred to be super fast to get the message out, I don't know. And so this message was delivered so that the people knew that they could defend themselves. The Jewish people did defend themselves. They also did not take the property of their enemies, which I think is key. They did not take that part. Um, and thus, the celebration of Purim was born. So they celebrate the day that they, the day after everything, where they were able to be safe and live, and they give gifts of food and money to the poor on that day. And the day is still celebrated today in March, though, because we pushed Esther back a little bit. So we're not really in line with the actual holiday now, but they do still celebrate this holiday in March. I gave you food. Uh, so that is why the cupcakes were here, as, as part of a gift of food to listen. But I mean, just, you know, like pay attention, it's helpful. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. You could have eaten it during. Um, can you put up the Where's Waldo slide, please? It's the picture. It looks like a winter. There we go. So much like Waldo in these, I don't know if anyone remembers uh, Where's Waldo where you have to find, he has like a red and white shirt on. There will not be extra points at the end, Dan, if you find Waldo. Uh, but yeah, no, it'll be up here while I'm talking. You can all focus on that. Absolutely. Yeah, visual. See, I'm trying. Um, much like Where's Waldo, God is not mentioned in this book. Like he's, shh, don't tell anyone. Uh, he, he's there, though, clearly working behind the scenes, but he's not in the front. And I would be curious, oh, I'm sorry, Lauren, can you see it? If, if any of you might have noticed what parts God was in of, of, my, of my brief summary. Anybody want to call some out, the parts where you feel like God was in Esther's story? Okay, fasting. Okay. Yes. Dramatic irony. Dramatic irony, yes. I love it. She went to the king and lived? Yes, for Haman. Yes. Any, anywhere else? Mm. Yeah, Esther stepping up to her, to her time. April? Yeah. Yeah. Because of inflation. I love it. Yes. What? Taking Queen. Yeah. Mm hmm. There was definitely like a kind of throughout. Um, sometimes like breadcrumbs or Skittles that you're like picking up along the ground. But I would be curious. How many of us take the time to look for God in our long life stories? Um, like I know, there you do, yeah. But like 
drawing it out. So while I don't like forced group activity, I hate it. Um, if we want to just take a couple minutes and talk to the people next to us about the last time we remember seeing God in our story, I think that would be lovely. So we'll take like a couple minutes, not forced. If you don't want to talk to the person next to you, tell yourself. Okay, we'll wrap up and come back. I'm excited if you have these long lists though, because next week, if you continue throughout the week to think of what God did or where he has been in your life, I will have more baked goods to give to you as a reward for doing the homework. And they're not Christmas themed, so all you people who love fall are really winning because they're fall themed goodies. Um, yes, I did, but I'm going to do it again if people want to keep thinking about it. Because it's baking, you know? It's great. Okay, hopefully everybody was able to think of at least one, one thing or one place that you could really see God moving in your lives. Hopefully. Okay. But it's about God, which is really important, and the Old Testament is very God-heavy, which is great. But the whole reason that we're going through the Bible, besides making sure that we're aware of what was before, is to how does the Old Testament lead us back to Jesus, which is really kind of the big point of it all. And there's definitely parallels, right, with uh, Jesus stepping up when it was his time and what Esther did to step up when it was her time. And so I think how I see that Esther connects with Jesus is that she did step up and Jesus stepped up for us in a way that is, I still think it's kind of wild. I can't even imagine. Especially all the times that I complain and he's like, still, I love you, uh, which is really kind. Uh, but the, the key that I think that really got me for what I thought that God wanted us to really focus on today, and this will be the beginning of ministry time, um, is the decrees. So the king wrote this decree, sealed it with his ring, and he was like really just like casually giving that ring to people to make these decrees on his behalf. And it kind of reminded me of free will in a way. He had the free will to do that, but also in our lives, we have free will and people around us have free will. And sometimes what they do, what people do with their free will does affect us. It, it might get in our way. It blocks something that we're doing. We might carry an emotional weight from something that someone did in their free will choice. And that is not really connected to God's love for us. That doesn't mean that he, he doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't for us. It means he loved us enough to give us free will and somebody acted in their free will and we took, we took a, a bullet or we took a poke or it affected something in our lives like the decree affected the Jewish people who were kind of just living their lives and didn't realize that they'd become this, this real focal point for Haman. And I thought that God really wanted to just give us a space today to think about decrees that some people might have spoken over us, that we might have spoken over ourselves, that we're still living in, forgetting that Jesus came, he spoke a whole new decree and while it might not be able to cancel out the pain that was felt or the things that happened, he is there in with us to move out of it. And it could take, it could take years. It might not be like a, a quick one and done today, 
But I just think during our ministry time today, we're going to give some space for each person to really talk with the Holy Spirit and see if that's something that you, that you feel and that you connect with. So we're, we're going to have some quiet time. The prayer team, people on the prayer team, will be probably off to the side. If, if you feel like you want prayer working through that as we talk through that, you can go over to one of them or put your hand up and somebody will come over to sit with you. But God, we just, I, I just am constantly in awe of what you do, what you always do. And Jesus, I don't even think that I have the words to express fully just how grateful and thankful I am for you coming and putting your ring on my life and in the lives of others. And Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would create a space in our hearts just for us to bring up and think about the things that have maybe happened before that hurt. For permission that we might have given somebody else's words to affect us or our life. Just more Holy Spirit.